This is Rugga Matrix America. McLean, and I am here with the coach of the Boston Rugby Club, Mike Diamantopoulos. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, Bruce, happy to be here. Um, happy to have you as the uh, the moderator. You've made a hostile takeover of the show, I think. Yeah, I think it's more of uh, Alex is a little busy, so <laughs> he can't do it. And and at the end of the day, we wanted to get something out, and there's a lot of things going on this weekend that are quite important. First of which being Boston is playing life. In for the third time this season. Yep. And it's a semifinal match down at Life. And we had James Isaacson on the Coach of Life last week. And we were wondering what your thoughts on the game were. Well, I mean, I, I have a lot of thoughts on it. But, um, you know, I mean, the big thing that you mentioned is we played, we played, this will be our third time playing Life. So, you know, first of all, we're excited to be in the semifinal. Um, I think back to back years in the semifinal is a, a pretty big accomplishment for our club. Um, kind of building, you know, building our, our history a little bit and and kind of showing that we have some consistency now um, to perform. So, you know, it, it worked out in a weird way that we had the home and away against life. And, uh, you know, it, now we're going down there. So we're excited to go down there, actually. Um, I think so, we can talk about it a little bit, but there's something that can be said for traveling on the road as a team in the playoffs um, that's a positive for the travel team. Um, and they have a first-class venue to play in, which uh, it'll be nice to play on grass on a on a full-size field. So we're uh, we're pretty excited about the opportunity. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on traveling in the playoffs. We we had spoken off air about that, and yeah. it's it's one of the things that, from my experience, like we we had a we had a quarterfinal match in 2008 where two of our critical players got stuck in traffic and showed up. Uh, 15 minutes before the game, maybe 10. Right. And we had no idea that they were there, and, and we would have had to burn two subs. Right. And straight early on, we would have had to burn two subs had they arrived late. So there is something to be said. And, and when we went to Golden Gate, I think there was a little bit of a circus surrounding the Golden Gate team in that, you know, every, people need tickets to the game. People people need stuff. Everybody wants to know how the parking is. There's a little bit of traffic issues. There's all kind. Of, yeah. Whereas last year we just kind of showed up. We just showed up and went to the game, and that was it. And it, it was pretty easy. So yeah, let's let's hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what you just talked about. I think you know it's great to be at home, of course, right? But there's a lot of distractions at home. You know, guys have wives, girlfriends, kids. You know. <laughs> Lots of things to pull you in a different direction. You know, as long as you can get out in time, you know, and that's always a challenge on a Friday afternoon getting guys on a flight out of a major city. But once you're on the at the airport together, you know, you're really – it's an insular environment, right, where it's just you and the squad. So you're focused on nothing but rugby. There's not as many distractions. So from that standpoint, I think it can really pull a team together, you know, on the road, all together – same hotel, same meeting room, logistics are taken care of. Um, so I think it takes it, it lets the players focus solely on the rugby and the task at hand. And you know we have a massive task at hand, <laughs> going down to life and playing this team three times. So we've lost two twice. So I'm actually in a weird way. While it would have been nice and saved a lot of money to stay at home, I'm not really upset that we're going down to Atlanta. What areas do you think that perhaps you can target? 
in the life team to give Boston a bit of success. I, I personally also think that you have a very daunting task ahead of you. I don't. I don't think it's going to be easy. I certainly. No. While 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 we talk about the benefits of travel, travel is still difficult. Yeah. And um, and and I'd like to know what your thoughts are on the life team. I'm sure you've studied quite a bit of video on them to see where they may have a soft white underbelly without giving the whole thing away. Yeah. Where do you feel you have a little bit of a relative advantage? Well, I mean, I, I think one thing is that you know, and people who who watched our last game against Life, um, and a lot of the feedback I got was. You know, it was played at an incredible pace. Um, it was played at a, at a high, high pace that that really maybe Boston we really haven't seen before. You know, we had the ability to hang with them um, at times. We had a lead, listen. We had a lead at halftime. Gave up a try. You know, in the last two or three minutes of halftime that that changed the score from possibly going in twenty two ten to twenty two fifteen. Um, you know, and then we were chasing the game in the second half once they pulled ahead. So, um, you know, we have to have the ability to play at that pace, Bruce, but we also have the, have to have the ability to slow the game down when we need to. So, um, you know, we have a lot of work. I mean, they're extremely consistent in how they play. They have a style they play with. They're very good at, they're very disciplined. Um, and they make you pay when you, when you make mistakes. So for us, it's really about our own game and cutting down our mistakes having the ability to play at that pace when we need to, but also have the ability to control the game and slow it down when we need to as well. So, um, you know, I, I feel it is a big task to go down there for sure, but I also feel like we have a really good opportunity. And, and, and while there's pressure on us um, after losing to you guys in the semifinal last year and, and really not being competitive in that game, if, if we're honest with ourselves, um, you know, there's a, I feel there's a lot of pressure on life as well. I mean, they lost in a semifinal last year and the final the year before. So I think pressure works both ways. And, hey, they beat us twice. So, you know, they should beat us by all accounts. And a lot of people will be thinking that going in. But we have to have a belief in our camp that we can win the game as well. So, Well, I'll get into a little coaching thing that, that uh, I always like to get into coaching matters. You spoke about controlling the tempo. And I, and I think that a lot of – well. You didn't say controlling the tempo, but by meaning you slow the game yeah. down or speed it up. You play it at a pace that you want to play. Right. right. As a coach, how do you coach your team to do it? There's a lot of kids out there, a lot of coaches who listen. How do you coach your team to control the tempo of the game? What things do you do to slow it down? What things do you do to speed it up? Where where are there aspects of play where you can control the tempo? Right. I mean, I, th- I think a big a big piece of it is <clears throat> excuse me, create an environment in practice that's pressure filled, right? So not running unopposed, not just running through drills, but creating game situations. All that comes down, though, to the skills that you have at the tackle contest. You know, we all know there's plenty of tricks to slow down the ball at the tackle contest that are within the the gray area of the rules. Um, The ability to to generate fastball at the tackle contest as well as a skill. So kind of all the skills that you work on build up to that. But Unless you create environment and practice, and, and we spend a lot of time at Boston in kind of game environment situations, um, whether it's full or modified contact, really letting the guys play rugby in practice, which is really important. Um, because it can't be a foreign thing when they get in the game. It's something completely new. You know, there's not four corners and a coach telling them what to do in the games. It's, it's rugby and it's fluid. So I think by creating that environment, you can teach lessons within that environment, um, at, in the practice environment. So 
we try to spend a lot of time on in, in those situational things. Um, and, and things change as the season goes on. The, the amount of contact you take on, you know, you have to modify as you go. But, um, you know, it, it's really about recreating those game situations in practice and, and repping through it as well. Who are the key performers on the Boston team? And how devastating do you feel that the loss of Suniula or the, or the probable loss of Suniula yeah. is is going to be to your midfield? Uh, do you have anyone coming back who might possibly fill that role in the event he's gone? And what do you think about the impact of Emmerich leaving life for the exact same reason to join the sevens team sure. and, and how that will affect the game and the pace of the game for that matter? Sure. I, I, you're losing – both teams are losing two very good players. You know, Roland has really been integral in our success um, in the in the few games that he played for us. Um, he's a great distributor of the ball. He sets up our, our outside backs, creates opportunities for them. Very good in defense. Um, so, yeah, that's a loss. But we're somewhat lucky in that Derek Wabumba, um, who started our season at outside center, was carrying a knee injury into the season, had a meniscus, a slight meniscus tear, that by Roland joining us, Derek was at, was able to have surgery early on in the season after the Lions game. And he's back, full recovery, um, been taking contact on in practice, been cleared by, by his orthopedic surgeon and his, uh, his PT person. So I think we're lucky in the standpoint that we can slot a guy back in who's been part of our program, part of our success. You know, you don't replace a guy like Roland Suniola. But um, certainly Derek is, is a nice option to have. Um, to your answer about them losing Paul, you know, Paul clearly was, if not the best player, one of the best players on the field against, against us two weeks ago. So does it hurt them? I'm sure it does on some level, but depending on what they do, they probably slot Tui Osborne into outside center, who's a fantastic player as well. So um, I think we probably both teams, maybe it's a wash, Bruce. And that both teams lose quality players, but have guys they can put in there that can do the job as well. So, who are a couple guys that have been basically the guys who've carried your team through the season, and and you probably have a little bit of veteran leadership that maybe they didn't carry the team, but they were kind of you know a guy like a Prell or a Brendan who yeah maybe maybe added a little bit in in terms of emotion to what you're accomplishing this season, and uh, and you probably have. Uh, a disappointment or two as opposed in terms of invites to the Eagles and, and, and things like that and who you thought from Boston possibly got, uh, got snubbed. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, we were, we were somewhat, it, it kind of starts with, we were somewhat unlucky. Um, we lost our captain, Hugh Galligan after the first game against life. Um, and, and Hugh was out for the season um, due to some, uh, some concussion issues. So, you know, Losing your hooker and your captain, as you know, Bruce, can be really tough to overcome. Um, you know, we were able to re- not we, you don't replace Hugh, but we were lucky in that we had Anthony Adams, who uh, who you know, who played for the Wolfhounds for a number of years, was part of their championship teams in Division One, able to bring Anthony up um, and kind of have that kind of old-headed hooker, which is really nice. He has tons of experience, which has been fantastic for us. Michael Bunce stepped in as captain and. You know, Bunce is a guy who really leads by example. Um, I think he's had a terrific season. I'm, I'm biased because I'm, as his coach, you know, he's in our environment every day. Can I excuse me on this? Yeah. You mean that Bunce doesn't give Churchillian speeches? 
But, you know, Buncey's a man of few words. I mean, he is a Long Island man. <laughs> so, but I tell you what, he absolutely leads by example. So uh, Buncey's been great for us. So he's really set a good tone in practice. Guys know that, you know, he works harder than anybody else on the field, off the field. So that really sets a, a really positive tone for the boys. Um, you know, guys like Dave Prell have been around for a long time. Um, you know, just a grinder guy who runs the line out for us has been really productive this year. Has got himself in in very good shape. Um, you know, a guy that you know really well that we picked up, Adrian Myers. In my opinion, has been a huge piece of the puzzle for us um, from the lineout standpoint, from his rugby knowledge. Um, playing the back row and the second row for us. Um, that's been a, a really big pickup um, in the forward pack to go along with Buncey. Brennan Moore is probably, and I, I don't want to name all my players. I'd love to name all of them, but, you know, Brennan Moore has had a great season at number eight. Coming off the off the seven season, you know, sevens and, and, and through the fall, really is a dangerous guy with the ball in his hand. Has scored a lot of tries this season for us. Um, so really, really happy with him. Um, in the back line, we picked up Nick Elric, who comes to us from North Harbor, who's uh, really controls the game, has a nice foot, can take it on himself, um, and he's been a real positive influence on the back line. Um, you know, in the centers, we had Marcus McAllister again, who's with us again from Ireland. He's here for the next year or two. Um, and then, you know, you got guys like Duran Voda and Kyle Marshall, who've been involved in the seven setup at various levels. Um, but one guy has been a real key for us, Bruce. Um, who I don't feel gets a lot of credit is Glenn McKenzie, who's kind of a almost kind of your old school fullback. You know, great guy, last line of defense. He can kick from either foot. Um, you know, is an occasional attacking threat as well, but really just solid in our defensive system back there. So he scored a 99 yard try against the AC. He he, he did, and he, and he and he's still he's still upset that his name didn't get in that article. <laughs> The Tolks was quoted as the as the uh, the Nyack or excuse me the Boston fullback <laughs> went 99 yards. He goes Tolks knows me, <laughs> so um, yeah. I mean, listen, when you have a team that makes the semifinal, Bruce, as you know, there's a lot of guys. It's it's really all 15, and, and I'd even go beyond. One of the major differences between this team last year and this year is that we really have a bench that we use a lot. Um, so we've really created some depth. It's really allowed us in the second half of games to to really change out, you know, two, three, four forwards in some cases, and really put those fresh bodies on. So, um, listen, we're really happy with our with our team, um, but you know, we know it's a big challenge. We want to take that next step, obviously, and make the final. So, um, we're hoping all the preparation we put in this season will carry us. Well, let's take a look at the other semifinal. Yeah, yeah. the almost unstoppable force in San Francisco Golden Gate right playing the I don't want to call it a supernova but it definitely is a it definitely is a potent offense in old Puget Sound Beach and I was wondering what your take on that game is and do you see any way that Puget Sound can upset Golden Gate well, I mean I, I, I've started I mean and I think James would probably say the same thing. You know, with the video share, we start, we'd be foolish if we didn't start to prepare for the other teams, right? So I, I have looked at a little bit of footage. Um, I mean, San Francisco is just San Francisco, right? I mean, you know them better than anybody else does from the final last year. Tremendous amount of athletic ability in that team. There's a lot of talk that their scrum's not as strong as it as it could be or should be. 
that um, old Pugin, on the other hand, has all that firepower, but seems to have a, a scrum that's pretty functional as well. Um, you know, they're going to have to target the set-piece area to be as disruptive as they can, put put uh, San Francisco on the back foot, which, to be fair, they're probably just as dangerous from the back foot as they are from the front foot. So I, I think you have to believe that San Francisco is the favorite in that game, Bruce. Yeah, I, I definitely I, – I'm not going to talk a whole lot on it. I, I don't see a way that – I don't see how Puget Sound can beat San Fran – Right, I, right. I just don't see it. Um, you know, I, I think that they can get on top of them. I, I'm just not sure that, that Puget Sound is capable of playing 80 minutes of rugby, which is the only way you can beat San Fran. Right. If you don't play a, a, a complete game of rugby for 80 minutes and kind of minimize your error, you cannot let Mose Timoteo take over that game. Right. And I think that that is a guy that in, – in, and I know that – Samu Manoa and other guys, this, and Biller and this, and Danny LaPravat there. To me, the key to their game is their 9-10 combo. And, and they really do. They're very strong through the spine when you look at Billers at hooker. Yep. Then they have Samu at eight. Then they have Mose at, Mose Timoteo at nine. Volney. Then they have Volney Rouse at ten. Right. And, and they, and they almost have a potpourri of fullbacks from which to choose. Yep. So, I, I just, I, I don't see, and then adding in Mealy Pulu, I don't, I, he may be at the sevens camp, but I just don't see a way that Puget Sound is going to defeat that. Right. And, and in all reality, by all rights, I mean, last year there was almost, who would have seen a way that the AC could have defeated it? Yeah. So it can happen. Right. But I think that Puget Sound relies so much on really quick strikes that, they're going to need a lot of them. Yeah. Or they're going to need to ha- they're going to need to find a way to keep the ball and I don't know if they play that way. That's that's the thing is that if you don't keep the ball a lot and you can't just play a possession game, you're going to give Golden Gate enough possession to beat you. It's kind of like if you get into a track meet with a, you know, you get into a run and gun game with a team that's better than you, you're going to give them enough chances to beat you, so probably they will. Right. You kind of got to you got to strangle the life out of out of out of out of Golden Gate in order to beat them, which we were lucky enough to do last year, and we had to score ten points in the last two minutes of the game in order to beat them, and hit a forty-five meter kick in the wind. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think that it was. I mean, you want to talk about getting lucky? Yeah. You know, we we were the epitome of getting lucky. Well, so I, I don't I, I don't see them losing that game. Well, I think that I mean I think that's a great point you make, Bruce, about putting a stranglehold on the game. Is that you know can in the time that they've had can old Puget you know maybe they have that in their game and they just haven't used it but can they develop that you know one of the probably the biggest lesson that we took away from our game against against Nyack in the semifinal last year was you guys did that to us right you guys are excellent team at holding possession we really lived on turnover ball we worked on it defense you know defensively we wanted to turn the ball over and make you pay we didn't have the ability to play sustained attack against you guys which put our defense under so much pressure. Um, and that's one thing that is coming with us and that we've tried to work on is the ability to maintain possession for multiple phases, um, which obviously makes it a lot easier on your defense as well. So it's just a matter of old Pugent can do that against San Francisco. Yeah, let's move on. Yep. You're, you're coaching the U.S. under-20s, and you're involved in, in Scott Lawrence's coaching team. Yep, yep. 
you've been monitoring a lot of players throughout the throughout the country, and what do you think of the outlook for the U.S. under twenties? You know, I, I think it's obviously I you know um, I think it's a positive outlook. I, I think we've done we've created a, a positive environment for the players. Um, I think we've done a lot of work on the development side with the players as well. Um, you know, it's 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 obviously it's going to be a massive challenge to go to go to the Republic of Georgia. Um, we open with Samoa, followed by Russia, and then Uruguay. So, um, you know, I, I think there's a we we have some quality players on the team. You know, we hope we pick the right guys, and and I think we have. Um, it, it's a matter of of them just executing. So, um, I think it's, it's an exciting. I'm thrilled to be part of the program. I think we've created a a great environment, something we can take forward um, with the U-20s. And I'm just excited to see how the kids perform in the international stage. So um, it's going to be really interesting. You have a couple kids who are freshmen. Normally a U-20s team would be sophomores in college, but I know Mikey Durant from the AC is on the team. Yep, sure. And Patrick Coleman from Cal Berkeley. Yep. yep. And he's also a Xavier man. And uh, <laughs> Mike is Mike is actually a, a BC High guy, so he's a he's a Boston kid. Yeah. Yes. Um, we don't hold it against him. <laughs> uh, I was. How many of your kids are freshmen? Do you have a young team, or is it or is it primarily an experienced team of sophomores? Because I think some a lot of the life guys would have to be freshmen because a lot of their team is. There are a fair amount of freshmen on the team, Bruce. So you know, I think there's a. I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me of the of the guys we're taking, but. There's a pretty good mix of some young players that we'll be able to look at again next year as well. So I think that's a real positive. I mean, it's always going to be a learning experience, right? I mean, that's that's what age-grade rugby should be about is development of players to to help sift through the guys and help them develop into senior eagles. So um, there are some young guys who, who really show a lot of promise, and uh, there's there's a pretty healthy mix of young of young slash older U20s on the team. So we do have some of those guys. What are you guys? What are you guys doing with the U20s that possibly you would you want to change or you want to you want to make a little better next year? You know, I, I think we'd have to just kind of look at the at the whole year as a whole once we're done, Bruce. Um, you know, I mean, that's probably a better question for Scott to be fair, since he's the uh, the head coach of the program. Um, but I, I know we'll have some discussions on on what we can do differently to try to improve because I mean, that's the kind of environment that we have is we want to challenge each other and always try to improve. So I think that's really going to be something we'll have to look at at the end of the cycle, which will be uh, on June 6th. So, yeah. And, uh, and I think also looking at it in terms of budgets and all that kind of, it's just going to, you know, yeah, it's going to be a rough, well, thanks a lot, Mike. I really appreciate you being part of the show this week Yeah, it's fun. and, and good luck this weekend. Have a lot of fun. I'm sure it will be a terrific game. Is it supposed to be webcast? It's supposed to be a live webcast. Um, hopefully we'll get that out. Um, the boys down at Life will get that out via Facebook and Twitter and all the social media so people can uh, can hop online. You can always go to the, the Life Rugby website. They usually post it off of there, I believe. Well, thanks a lot, and have a good have a good weekend, and I will probably speak to you shortly after the game. Sounds good, Bruce. Now we're joined by Pat Clifton after our little conversation with Mike Diamantopoulos, and we are going to speak about college rugby 
in particular the four games that happened in the college premier division this weekend, and we'll take a look at the two semifinal matches upcoming. And then Pat has re- recently written an article that will probably generate a little bit of controversy, and we'll speak to him about that. But first up, life against Cal. Good game, Pat. What's your take on it? Well, you know, the uh, the score I'm pretty impressed with, to be honest, as far as life uh, life is concerned. I know that might seem crazy with uh, with that kind of a lopsided win, but I honestly expected it to be more. Uh, life went out there, and they made Cal work for all their points. And... Uh, you know, for as young of a squad as life is, which they're really, really young, uh, that says a lot to me. Um, and, and Cal, is it's always hard to get on the field at Cal if you're a young player. So if you're playing like Seamus Kelly, you're a stud. And everybody else is, uh, by and large, a guy who's earned his stripes being in the program a while. And I'm pretty impressed with, with life to do that in, in Berkeley. And so that says to me, uh, not just impressed with life, but I'm impressed even more so with, with Arkansas State and the team that beat life earlier in the year. And uh, life is going to be legit and very, very serious here in uh, about two or three years when all these guys grow up. Yeah, I got to agree with you. I think that that life took Cal to the to the breaking point, and and life actually uh, life had an Achilles heel in the game, and it was their scrum. And you really can't have Achilles heel against Cal. And and the other thing is, one of the places that Cal is pretty strong is. Defensively in the scrum, defensively in the lineout, they kind of made they kind of made life pay. Interestingly, on the scoreline, what most people don't know is that life knocked on in the end zone in injury time, and Cal turned around and scored and went the other way. So that score very well could have been thirty-six to twenty-four. So they would that, that I think that they could take a lot out of that game, and um, and I think that Cal can take a lot out of the game as well because. Life came to play, they came to tackle, and Cal really capitalized on mistakes. It was, it was a very, very good game of rugby. It was a very good game. I, I was fortunate enough to see it on Vimeo, so terrific stuff. And well, congratulations well, congratulations to both sides, really, because it was a great day. I, there's some parallels, I think, here, and I don't wanna, I'm not just talking about Arkansas State because I'm a Red Wolf you know, homer or anything, but I think there are parallels. To, last year was Arkansas State's first chance you know, on the big stage, okay? And they, a program that had been building and, and for a few years, and it was finally coming to a boil, and it was going to be a good program. And they got walloped by life or by Cal on a neutral field by a lot worse than life did. So that says to me, life is farther along uh, in their first year uh, being on the big stage than Arkansas was last year. I think that's really, really impressive. Now they have had some of these guys in the program for a while playing Super League, um, like Garrett Lambert, um, and that's helped too. But as far along as life is for as young a program as it is, is really, really impressive, and it's very speaks a lot to the job Dan Payne's done. Life, life is terrific, and and they're only going to get better. And I and I think that Colton Carriaga is is an excellent captain. Joe Cowley is a very good fly half. They're going to get better. They have to tighten some things up, and they, and there were some things on that big stage that they can't afford to have happen to them. But all in all. You gotta, you gotta look at, this is not a, this is a very good Cal team. This is not a Cal team with a lot of holes. It's a very good Cal team, and it's a very good life team. And let's get it, brings us to our next game, Arkansas State and St. Mary's, where you as a soothsayer can talk about that and let us know your thoughts on that. And I can tell you, I didn't see that game, but I did speak to the coaches of St. Mary's. Yeah, I, I talked to I talked to both Matt Huckabee at Arkansas State and Tim O'Brien out of St. Mary's, and 
you know, a lot of opportunities lost by St. Mary's, a lot of unfortunate knocks, a lot of drop balls, you know, forward passes, mistakes that are, they're they're not necessarily indicative of a bad rugby team or, or you not being as good as Arkansas State, but you're just not playing up to par on the day. Um, and now those mistakes can be forced by a really good, ferocious defense. And I think that's what Arkansas State is. They hang their hat on their defense. They've got some good offensive weapons, but you know, the Red Wolves play great, great defense and they played good defense on the goal line again this year against St. Mary's, which is really what saved them last year. Uh, when St. Mary's was, was really pushing it and the Gales were really close, they elongated a possession. It ended up being a scoring possession with St. Mary's, but they elongated it and made the short, you know, milk the clock doing so while they had the lead. Arkansas State is just very good at that sort of thing, and they're a very good defensive team. Um, and, you know, talking to Tim O'Brien, he said that the biggest failure of him as a coach this year was maybe the mismanagement of Bubba Jones, uh, the freshman, a fantastic athlete, fantastic future in the game of rugby, saying that he needed to work with him and should have worked with him more on the tactical game, uh, the tactical side of being a fly half, because you take a guy that had been a center and a wing and a great scorer and a great, you know, runner with the ball in the hand and and you uh, put him at fly half and uh, perhaps he lacked in the kicking area. So I think Tim O'Brien has thought it's an opportunity lost, but he's got 14 to 15 guys coming back. Yeah, I think that from what I heard, Johnny Everett said and, and Tim said that A, Arkansas State was a very well-coached team. B, Arkansas State is a very good team. C, St. Mary's did very well in the scrum. And D, Arkansas State basically destroyed St. Mary's in the lineup. And that's where the game was lost in their minds. That essentially Arkansas State moved the ball, put them in the corner, and St. Mary's couldn't win the lineup. And they were under pressure the entire game because of it. Right. Yeah, that's certainly – I mean, obviously everybody knows that pieces are extremely important, but when you dominate one – and you don't dominate the other, it can kind of be uh, leveled out. And, and St. Mary's was very powerful in the scrum, and they pushed around Arkansas State like they hadn't been pushed around all season. Um, but, you know, even with that line out, and, and you're right, as good as Arkansas State was at it, uh, St. Mary's had plenty of opportunities to, to, to level things on the, uh, in the open, and they just, every time they, they were about to, they stubbed their toes. And, and, you know, for Arkansas State to be down 13 men for seven minutes, um, against a side like St. Mary's that can sometimes make it seem the way they play when they've got the ball can make it seem like they've got more guys than you do anyways with the way they can offload for them to only walk away with five points. That's a very huge stretch. Uh, well, the first half and the second half. The beginning of the that, half. That, that was one of the other comments that Tim had had about this is he said that the thing that really killed them was halftime because Arkansas state got their act together during that two-man down period during halftime. And they weren't able to really capitalize on it because it kind of got to be a little bit fractured. But that said, they still lost Arkansas State 1, and they absolutely deserve to be where they are. And the next game we want to talk about is BYU-Navy. And what do you think about that, Pat? I got to watch a little bit of this game, the feed. I don't know if it was like this for everybody throughout the country. It was pretty jerky. Um, so it wasn't very, the continuity was not good. It was not easy to watch. Um, but what a boy, you know, and Navy had some very long possessions deep inside, you know, within BYU's territory. They, they played the ball well there, but kind of like St. Mary's, they would make a mistake. And when you play a team that's as good as BYU, 
and I know this is a cliche, a lot of people say it, when you play a good team, you can't make mistakes. But when you play a team that's as good as BYU, you make a few mistakes and you turn around, you're down 21 nothing. You make three knocks, you're down 21 nothing. You turn the ball over in the ruck a couple times, you're down 21 nothing, And that's kind of what happened to these guys. BYU capitalized on every early mistake of Navy, and they ran it in for a try. And then there was a good period where Navy controlled the possession in the second half and early in the second half. BYU is just too good, too talented. They they may be the most talented team in the country. I mean, I, I really I, BYU is uh, it's going to be tough to beat even for a team like Cal. BYU is very very good. Yeah, I I, I got to say that BYU is a tough team. And 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 in fairness to Navy, they took Army to the Bell, and they also took life in a preseason game, a pretty strong a pretty strong showing. But it, I I think that by mo- most most accounts that everybody knew that. BYU was basically gonna was gonna go with that one. Utah against Army, very big one. That was the one that most people thought could be an upset if there was gonna be one, and Utah was able to win. So, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I haven't gotten to watch the game, but I got to keep up with it a little bit on Twitter uh, and kind of just seeing how the scoring went. You know, every time I saw those late scores from Utah, every time I saw it, my jaw dropped lower and lower and lower. They're a team that can score on you in a flash with the athletes they have. And uh, having not seen the game, that's what I'm kind of walking away with what happened. You make a mistake with those guys and you have the athletes to race it the other way very quickly before you know what happened. Um, they do make a lot of mistakes on their own. Um, and a team that's as uh, regimented and, and usually mistake-free as, as Army, uh, that, can really, that can really wear on you. Just like you know, that's why Army was up late in the game. But Utah's got some athletes that are really, really special. And it looks to me, having not seen it, like that may be what happened. You got to see it. You tell me what you think. Well, I was speaking to Blake Burdett about it, and I just – his whole thing was that for 50 minutes they didn't have possession of the ball, and they knew that they could score. They knew that they just had to find a way to get possession of the ball. And at the end of the day, when they did, they did put points on the board, but and I don't know what Alex was writing about in his article that this is the style that you know that you could play this kind of style and have it be you know I think he was trying to have have a conversation like we were having on the last podcast. At the end of the day, if B if Utah gives Cal Berkeley fifty minutes of of scot free possession, you could venture to say they're going to lose by sixty. Oh, absolutely. So they're going to, you know, and, and I spoke to Blake about this. It is not their plan not to have the ball. It is not their plan to play. Silly. Their plan is to execute flawlessly and play and play rugby just like every other team. And I mean, I coached Blake, so you know I understand that Alex was trying to throw a little bit of a dig as to what I was saying. But I will tell you right now, if you get yourself into a track meet with a team that's better than you and you give them enough opportunities to win, they probably will. Well, I think Utah can make that game a track meet, then they can be in it. But you running a track meet style and then you turn- wild style when you're better than that team. When you're better than your opposition significantly, you can't afford to play that way as the things tighten up or you're a little bit worse. You need to be able to execute. You need to be able to play your game and do things comfortably. That's all I'm really saying. And, and, you know, I just, and I think that Utah wants to execute and Utah wants to have set piece and Utah wants to be pretty pretty flawless in, in their first contact, and they don't want to gamble too much against Cal. 
they're going to they're going to need to put points on the board when it's on when it's on offer and i think that they know they can beat them not so much in 15s but having done it in 7s they've at least had the taste of it and very few college teams have had the taste of beating cal period so at least they've experienced it and 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 that's probably the only thing going in there in their favor well, and it's at it's at altitude but um yeah i Utah's got a big team. Utah's got a talent that I just don't. I just don't think top to bottom that they're good enough to beat Cal. I don't. I'm convinced that Cal of this year is as good as Cal last year. I know they've got a lot of the same pieces back, but you know Keegan Engelbrecht was such a huge part of that puzzle. And really, the biggest loss was Eric Fry. Eric Fry was the heart and soul of that team, and and he's not there this year. And I, I mean, of course, Cal is very good, and they they reload. They don't rebuild. I think that uh, Cal is a little bit down from where they were last year. And so if Utah's going to get them, now would be a good time to do it. Um, yes. But, yeah, the, the, you're right. They can't make mistakes, and they've got to capitalize on every single mistake Cal makes. And they have the athletes to do it, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. See, I I think that there's a um, – I think that Cal is very good because I, I think that players get a year better as they get a year older, especially in college. So you look at guys like Gasman and, and Rook – in the back row and, and Danny Barrett and they, then they have, they have laws coming back. Seamus Kelly's a year, a year better and, and their fly half bails in many ways to me is a better fly half than Keegan Engelbrecht. He's, he's not as good of a kicker out of hand and he's not as good of a goal kicker, but he's not a bad kicker out of hand and he's not a bad goal kicker. No. It, and he generates offense and he can play defense. And that is, that's a critical component. To, I think they're a better. I think they're a better team. Well, I would I would argue that they're not because I would argue that while Asbin's been fantastic and Rook has been fantastic, and uh, and their their pack is as good as always. I would argue there's nobody on that team who's as good as Eric Fry was last year, or as makes as big an impact on a game to game basis as Eric Fry did. Uh, I would definitely argue that. But you know that's it's kind of like splitting hairs. Me saying Cal is a little bit down is. That's not saying much. You uh, yeah, I, I I get what you mean. Well, looking at that game, I mean, I I think the Cal is going to beat Utah. I think that, you know, the one thing that Utah has is that they can possibly hang their hat on. Hey, we got we got to go out here. We got to execute. We got to play our game. And I think that Verse Army they found out that they can play. It's just a matter of can they play for eighty minutes, and that's what it's going to take to beat a Cal team. You have to play good rugby for 80 minutes. They can't have a 50-minute let-up like they had against Army. Right. And and I don't know if they're capable of playing 80 minutes. But if they are, then you got a game on your hands. And even then, it, it's hard to – it's still hard to beat them. Oh, yeah. They're going to be underdogs for sure and for good reason. But I don't think it's without you – know, outside the realm of possibilities. But. And what do you think about well, – I, I think it would be interesting – Arkansas State and and BYU, but no, I don't know what your thoughts are on that end. You know, I like Arkansas State a lot. I really do. But I think that BYU is as good this year as they've ever been. I think they're better than the team a few years ago. I think they're better than last year. You want to go off of, you know, and I agree with what you said, a year better. I mean, Ryan Rowney was amazing two years ago, and he's even better now. Same with Sean Davies, same with Dylan Luba. Same with, you know, Sue. Uh, a lot of these guys have been starting for three years. 
these guys are very, very good. Arkansas State is very, very good, too. They've got a lot of talent. If Arkansas State's going to do this, it's going to be by turning BYU over in contact. They hit hard, even though they're not near as big as BYU. They hit like trucks. They're going to have to be, you know, they're going to have to kick as well as, as, as BYU does. And, uh, and Zach Mizell has done really well with the foot. Patrick Sullivan's a very big fly half going up against a small fly half in Dylan Luba. So if you get Patrick maybe getting some go-forward ball, maybe you can suck in some of the other backs to make him help out um, and then create some overloads outside where I think uh, Arkansas today does have good enough backs to score on the BYU backs. Um, you know, you've got to exploit that one advantage there, but they're going to have to be just absolutely ferocious in the tackle and turning, turning BYO in the tackle, uh, turning BYU over in the tackle. And that's, that's something that's very tough to do. I do think that this is more likely for an, more right for an upset than Cal and, um, Utah, but I, I, you can't pick against BYU the way they've been playing. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you. And I think Huckabee has done a tremendous job down there and, and, you know, and I know they get a lot of they get a lot of garbage for having foreign students, but I mean they are in the middle of Arkansas, and that's what they that's really what they can use to have their program be successful. And their program is successful, and there's nothing wrong with having foreign students. There's nothing wrong with having a team the way you want it to be, and and that, and that, and those are the athletes they get to choose from. I will say. I don't see anybody beating. I don't see anybody beating Cal or BYU, and I think that that is going to be the final, and it should be an amazing day in Rio Tinto Stadium. Um, that's just my take on it. But that I, I mean, I, there's going to be people out there who differ. I just I don't I don't see it happen. And if it does happen, very, more power to them. There's not going to be very many that differ. I mean, those are those are the two favorites for a reason, and those are the right picks and the smart picks and day picks. There's nothing wrong with those two picks. I think they are the picks to make. But Arkansas State and Utah, I think, both have a puncher's chance. Well, talk to me about Division One rugby, Pat. Uh, Let's see what's going on there. Yeah, well, we've got the Final Four coming up this weekend. Harvard is uh, in the Final Four. We've got UCSB. We've got uh, Bowling Green, uh, who's been ranked number one in our rankings for quite some time. Not the entire year, but uh, darn close. Um, and you got Davenport, the emerging varsity sport or varsity team out of Michigan. Um, Davenport has just eviscerated everybody in the playoffs. Bowling Green has, has had to survive a tough game against Florida, but other than that, looked very, very strong. And they do have Rocco Maurer back. Nick Viviani seems to be, uh, at top form. Uh, it's going to be interesting. It really is. You know, UCSB plays Bowling Green in one semifinal and, <laughs> That that is going to be a very very good semifinal, and, and it's going to be it's it's really tough to pick um, because UCSB has some foreign talent in there that's been in their academy that's really good. Um, I know they like their young front row, their backs, their back line is fantastic. So is so is Bowling Greens. So that's going to be extremely interesting, and it's going to be a dogfight. Um, I don't think any team can be considered really a favorite in that one. The other side, Harvard Davenport Davenport's too good. Harvard, Harvard's road here was a little easy, uh, much easier than everybody else's, um, and uh, and Davenport's just too good, and they've been killing everyone. Uh, and you know, Bowling Green was lucky to survive both games that they played against them. So uh, I think you're looking at Davenport versus the winner UCSB and Bowling Green, and and it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a really closely competitive game that final, no matter who makes it there. I totally agree with you. Moving forward. 
Patrick, you just wrote a controversial article about college rugby. Would you please explain your position? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been pretty consistent the whole time since this college restructuring plan came down um, about, you know, my thoughts, how it felt, how I felt about it, the possible problems. And I think one of the possible problems is starting to rear its head is um, when you give these teams all, you know, all the power, you make them completely autonomous to form their own conferences without any guidelines, without, you know, a whole lot of mediation, uh, then you're going to have some political and, 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 and what I consider selfish moves and, in uh, eliminating teams or cutting them out of conferences. And I think the biggest, most glaring example of that is in Texas. You got the Southwest Collegiate Rugby Conference, um, which mirrors the old Southwest Football Conference. If you remember the Pony Express or Eric Dickerson or Sammy Barr, I mean, it used to be a great conference. And, uh, it, and not included that is Texas Tech. And the reason Tech is not included is because of the distance it takes for people to get to them. Five to eight hours is really uh, what it takes for everybody who's in that conference to get to Lubbock. Um, but Texas Tech has nowhere else to go that makes sense. There's no other conference that makes sense. So Texas, uh, the Southwest Conference, uh, has kind of, uh, you know, left Tech on an island. And Tech has nowhere to play next year other than in Division Two. And this whole restructuring plan was – one part of the reason for it was to prevent Division One programs like Texas Tech, Division One caliber programs, and FBS schools from being in Division Two. So you take a step backwards by uh, by having a team like that get cut out of a conference, um, and I think it really it kind of uh, it hampers what you're trying to do the entire time. Uh, and that's not the only example of it. Florida State applied to be a part of the SEC, was denied uh, access to the SEC, as were as was Arkansas State and a couple other programs because they wanted to go to traditional SEC schools. That's fine. Uh, you know, I suppose F- FSU does have other options, unlike Tech. One of them is going to the ACRL, um, the Atlantic Coast uh, Base League. Uh, but that's really, really tough travel for them. That's CPD-like travel. And uh, the other one is the Independence Conference, which is going to have two developmental sides in it, uh, two B-sides in it, and uh, not that great a competition. So you're taking – Florida State, a team that would have finished in the upper half of the SEC, is not allowed into the SEC just because the Seminoles don't play in the SEC in that sport. And uh, I'd argue that there's not a whole lot of sense into something like that. And, and some of this stuff is starting to really come to a boil across the country. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is going to – we'll see how it all plays out. Um, one of the other things is you've been hearing some scuttlebutt about the – about the college premier division and that some teams really may not be able. And I think that this was pretty much expected that some teams may, may need to drop out and they may need to restructure that. But as you look at the other, uh, as you look at the other stuff, it almost seems like they possibly could be joining, you know, teams from the final four. They seem to be college premier division caliber teams outside of Harvard. Right. But even even Harvard, they have local games, so it's not that bad for them to be in it. Right. Yeah, I think I think the two prime candidates to move up are UCSB and Stanford. I think they both want to be up. I know Kevin Battle wants his program to be a college premier division program. He has from the beginning. Um, he wasn't bitter about not getting in, but he, he wants to be there. And I think Stanford wants to be there. Matt Sherman hasn't said as much to me, but he certainly uh, – has left the window open for me to to infer that that's what he wants, and and Stanford has all the resources uh, a college premier division team needs 
be something travel expense is going to be uh, the hamstring for them that it has been for everybody else. So I think those two teams make a lot of sense to come up. There are other teams that make sense to come up, but do they make sense where some other teams are going to exit? Um, I don't know. And how many teams are going to exit? I, I think you're looking at minimum three, and three to six would be my somewhat educated guess. And I think you can absorb it, but if too many of them are in one conference, it's going to be tough. And a conference could shift from, you know, its, its geographical map could really shift considerably based on who leaves and who stays. Now, the reason teams are leaving, by and large, is financial. It is, it is, the travel was just too much. And uh, I think maybe teams underestimated how, how expensive it was going to be, the travel, or they decided what they get, you know, for the travel is not worth it. There are other teams, you know, I had one coach complain to me that USA Rugby was singing a song that there's going to be a lot of sponsorship to help offset costs, and that wasn't delivered. That basically a bag of balls was all they got for their sponsorship. Um, and so they knew it was going to be tough, but they thought they were going to get more help from uh, USA Rugby in terms of sponsorship than they did. So it just, I think it comes down to cost and worth. Is it worth paying? I mean, I don't want to throw out what somebody's budget is, uh, but is it worth paying in a, in a, a large amount of money to get your butt whooped every week? I don't know that every, every team is going to say that it is. I know some like the challenge and some have risen to the challenge. Tom Rooney at Ohio State says, he told me that he loved the fact that his team, you know, went out and played really good teams every week. And even though they had a tough season as far as wins and losses and some ugly scores in there, he loved it. And so some people are going to love it and some people are going to say, we need to take a step back and really evaluate whether it's worth it or not. Pat, I, I mean, I totally agree. It, it, it's Teams do have to decide whether or not it's worth having that challenge because the college premier division is a challenge. And but I you know I would like to see if the, if Davenport is is serious I'd like to see them join in it I I, I would certainly like to see um, Bowling Green join and, and and as you said Stanford uh, UCSB I think that those are teams that that probably should should look to getting into the league and and I also I don't necessarily think that conference size I don't think they should worry so much about conference size you you could work out ways of of operating within a 10-team conference or within a 7-team conference or stuff like that, I think that those teams should be able to to work that out. And as far as getting sponsorship from USA Rugby, I I don't think that USA Rugby sold them on having sponsorship. Um, Maybe they did. I I certainly wasn't in the room. But I don't don't think that if they did have expectations of sponsorship, then they were foolish. Because that probably was never going to happen because the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior and past behavior has been no sponsorship. So why should future behavior be the same, be any different? That's my take on it. I will, but I will argue that conference size does matter. Let's say the Mid-South loses three teams. Okay. If those three teams come from the Southern area, what do you, who are you going to add? If if, if your ad, if your answer to that is Bowling Green and Davenport, then now Texas A&M goes from having to travel to some southern teams. Again, this is hypothetical. Traveling, traveling to southern teams, maybe they can bus to some of these or it's a cheaper flight to some of these. To having to go from, you know, College Station, the southern end of Texas, all the way up to Michigan. That makes – I mean, could A&M handle it? Perhaps. They flew more than most teams did this year um, and, and seemed to have a little bit more cash than some of these 
these teams that are complaining about it, but that's that matters. And and you're going from you could be going from conferences that have six, seven, or eight right now to having four, and four might not be so workable within that. No, no, Pat, I I know what you're saying. I'm and I'm all I'm saying is that they can work it out. That there is a way that they can work these things out. And I'm 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 I, and I'm not claiming to be the guy to work it out, but you can usually you can usually work these problems out. Well, hey. And I hope and I hope that they I hope that they do, because it's it's obviously it's been a good league. I mean I've seen a, I haven't seen a ton of games, but I've seen a few games, and I've fortunately I've gotten to see some pretty good teams play, and I and I've gotten to see videos of pretty good teams, but I think that the standard is pretty good. I think that the standard is pretty good, and it's been consistently pretty good. Now, at the bottom of the league, there may be some some problems with the standard here and there. So what? That's only going to get better. They knew they were joining the league so that they can improve themselves and challenge themselves and make changes in their program that will help them to be effective later on. And 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 hopefully. They stick it through and see how it works. I, I, they do have to work out some kinks, though. I, and there are people who are who are disappointed in some things, and people who are satisfied with some things. They're gonna have to work out some stuff. Absolutely, the college will be original exists next year. There's no doubt about it. It'll exist the year after that. I'm just saying that what it ends up being may not be what we're looking at right now. And, and these little things that happen each year do matter, and they do add up, as you know, with the Super League. Um, but it, it'll exist next year. I don't think there's any threat of that not being the case. Well, Pat Clifton, thank you for being on the show. This is Bruce McLean, your interim host, signing off on Rugga Matrix America. <laughs>